everybody, there's a little introduction needed for this episode. This uh, is my first sermon that I've ever done. It's on 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 1 through 21. I would suggest uh, following along in your Bible to it. Uh, But just for some context, this sermon was prepared for uh, missionaries about to go out into the field. And I had spent some weeks with them. And long story short, there was a lot of challenges that they had to overcome. So that's going to be just really all the context you need to understand what, I, what I'm talking about at different points. Thanks. Also, the quality of the audio is going to be very poor. I had to record a live stream of this. I didn't have access to the audio file, so it's not as high quality as I would like it to be. So I'd like to start off with uh, having you write down some things you're hoping for. Hoping for in your term overseas. What are some things you're expecting? What are some things that you're hoping will happen? Relationships that you will build? uh, Gospel conversations you'll have? Those sorts of things. Anything you're hoping for. And I'll give you a, a minute to do that. All right, if you keep if you're still writing, go ahead and keep writing. But I want you to look at those things that you're you've written down. And I want you to think, are those things that you're hoping for or are they things that you're putting your hope in? If if these things don't happen while you're overseas, how is it going to affect you? Will you be able to continue serving the Lord or is it going to be debilitating? I think it's a subtle difference, but I think it makes all the difference. And I want you to keep those things in mind as we go through 1 Peter 1 this morning. As many of you know, I was really nervous to preach this morning. On several occasions, I was thinking about talking to Mark and asking him, Hey, can uh, someone else preach for me? (laughs) I'm going to be sick that day. Uh, But I decided to go ahead and go forward. Because I felt like I would be a hypocrite if I didn't. I tell people all the time that I think living as a Christian is moving out of your comfort zone and into a level of discomfort for the glory of God. If you're comfortable, you begin relying on yourself and not on God. If you're comfortable, you, you stop thinking about how you're glorifying God but how you're doing a good job. 
So that's what I tell people. But this raised a question in my head. How do I deal with discomfort? How do I deal with stress and fear? Really, I think this is the question for all of us. To, to say what we're going to do as a, just discomfort, I think would be an understatement. So the question for us is really, how do we deal with deep and abounding suffering? Luckily, I, that's what First Peter answers. First Peter, Peter writes to a persecuted church, a church that is struggling and suffering in a major way. So this letter was sent to encourage them to press forward in their faith. And here's the ultimate takeaway I want you to hear in 1 Peter 1. Keep the living hope of your salvation on the forefront of your mind so that you can bear all affliction for the glory of God and the joy of your salvation. Keep the living hope of your salvation on the forefront of your mind so that you can bear all affliction for the glory of God and the joy in your salvation. Let's start reading in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in verse 1, Peter calls the church elect exiles. What he means by this is that as believers, we are all not at home on earth. In other words, we're chosen foreigners. I think this will be a good thing to remember as we head overseas and we think about our home here in the States. We miss it and want to come back to it. But the reality is this was never our home to begin with. Our home is with God. Then in verse 2, Peter explains that we're, we're chosen foreigners according to the foreknowledge of God, that we've received justification, justification not only justification through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, but also through the Spirit, we're being sanctified. We get a great picture of God's sovereignty in both aspects of our salvation, justification and sanctification. Before we move on, I'd, I'd like to let you know uh, this note about the Greek for 3 through 12. It's all one sentence. It doesn't stop. We've got a two-paragraph-long sentence. And <laughs> I think Peter and Paul had some sort of ongoing competition to see how much deep theological truth that they could fit into one sentence. I feel like Peter should have won with this one. So let's go ahead and read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it was tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And filled with, the glory, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, if we go back to the beginning of that sentence in verse 3, Peter praises God the Father because he has caused us to be born again into a living hope, a hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so just so we can get a good picture of what that means, we were born into the curse of sin. We were living without lasting hope and destined to reap the rewards of that sin. And those rewards were death. But God in his mercy caused us to be born a second time into a hope, a living hope. Praise God. Now what is this hope? Well, in verse 4, we see that it's an inheritance. In the Old Testament, we see the promised land referred to as Israel's inheritance. Time and time again we hear this. And in the same way, our inheritance is a sort of promised land, the new heaven and the new earth. However, instead of our promised land flowing with milk and honey, it's overflowing with the glory of God. And, and Israel's promised land is constantly being was and is constantly being fought over. Several times Jerusalem was taken and ruled by foreigners that oppressed them. And in Jesus' time, Rome ruled over Israel. But our promised land, it says here, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. No army can take it. No, no persecution can eliminate it. Satan can't enter into it. It's perfect and undefiled forever. So we know that our inheritance is uncorrupted. But how do I know that I won't lose my salvation through my actions? I mean, my, my earthly father, he may have me in his will, but if I wrong him, won't he just write my name out of his will? Well, in verse 5, we see that our salvation is being guarded by God's power in faith. He didn't say 
guarded by God's power in our good works. You won't lose by works that which you never gained by works. The faith is the key. And when your name was written into the book of life, it was and will never be removed. Praise God. But all too often, because we're fearful creatures, and we forget the truth we once knew, we wonder if our faith is genuine. We wonder, did I ever really believe? I mean, even Jeremiah 17.9 says our hearts are deceitful. So how do we have assurance? How do I know that I have faith in the Lord? Well, thankfully, God knows us, and he knows us well, better than we know ourselves. And he blessed us with challenges and difficulty. That's weird to say, but I think it's true. Let's, let's read back at 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sufferings in the Christian life prove our faith. In America, we see so much nominal Christianity, and I think in part that's due to experiencing so little suffering. People live in this perpetual haze of not really knowing. And then because of this insecurity, we change the marks of what it means to be a believer. Our number one goal with those we disciple is not to protect them and isolate them from danger or suffering. Don't take that blessing away from them. Let their faith be known to themselves and to others. Trials are the proving ground of our faith. Now, when we go to verses 8 and 9, we see that these churches have already had their faith tested. And that it was proven genuine. So much so that Peter can see it, obviously. And not only do they believe, but they rejoice in a way that's inexpressible. Let's, let's read it again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think, I think Christ, I know Christ is needed for the joy that is made inexpressible. When I eat a steak, it's pretty easy to express the happiness I'm feeling. It's pretty easy to know exactly where that joy is coming from in the moment. When I'm living in times of ease and comfort, my, my happiness is easily expressed. But in the middle of this suffering, they have joy inexpressible. It's through Christ 
that joy is made inexpressible. I have a quote from John Piper that I think sums this up well. You become like what you crave. Christians crave Christ. They, therefore, they become like Christ. Christ's preciousness and reliability are inexpressibly great. And so, our joy is inexpressible in him. I want you to think about your context, where you're going, and, and who you'll be sharing the gospel with. How will they become believers? Many of them will experience a lot of persecution for their faith. All of them will experience suffering. Later in 1 Peter, he explains this. Be ready for this suffering. It's coming. What better way to demonstrate that Jesus is worth any cost that they may pay than in the midst of suffering, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Where everybody can see that you are a believer. Or will they see suffering and grief take you to food and music as what's most important? As what's going to get you through it? What about money and reputation? Will they see that as what's most important? Or will you cling to friends and family? Or will they see you cry out and praise Jesus Christ for all that he's done in your life? Will all else seem meaningless in comparison to Jesus? When we get to verses 10 through 12, Peter has already written a paragraph-long sentence. Uh, so I, I wonder, why did, why did he begin to write what seems to be a short history lesson for us? Well, well it's because history tells us something about ourselves. Take Americans, for instance. In America, we value freedom very highly. Sometimes too much, maybe often too much. But why? Why do we value freedom? Because America was founded on this. We fought for freedom, and then we fought for the freedom of slaves. And then freedom was woven into many of our laws in our history. We take on that value. So history tells you something about a people. So what does this history, this short bit of history in verses 10 through 12, tell us about God's people? It tells us we're blessed beyond comparison. God in his sovereignty sent the Holy Spirit to Old Testament prophets, not for their sake, but for ours. It says it directly in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. Then, the Holy Spirit was sent to other believers, starting with the apostles. And they preached the good news to us through the Holy Spirit. 
so that we may also believe. And, and just in case we're still not getting it, Peter explains that this salvation that we obtain is something that which even angels, angels in heaven, long to look at. We are blessed without comparison. I don't care what situation we're in. I don't care how nervous I am to preach. We are blessed without comparison. Peter took the time to illustrate an immense blessing for suffering churches. Why would he do that? Why, why when someone's you know, crying, would you tell them, you're blessed? Well, how often do we fall into self-pity? How often do I fall into self-pity when, when trials come, when difficulty comes? This, this shows us no matter what trial or situation we're in, we are blessed. And the prophets and preachers and angels know that we're blessed, that we're blessed. We should remember this and be thankful always. So glad that Peter decided to get grammar to the side and present all these blessings set before us. And just so that we can see these blessings clearly, I'm going to go ahead and restate it and sum it all up the best I know how. God has worked through human history to present a gospel to us that he gave to us, which was an untouched inheritance, a glorious promised land that we did not earn and will not lose by means of works. And God blessed us with trials so that we could be sure that all of this was true for all of us. Praise the Lord. So now that the first sentence is over, we can go ahead and start looking into uh, the call to action. Let's start reading in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So Peter is saying here, 
have this living hope on your mind and and be ready for work and, and have a clear mind free from distraction. Peter just got done saying in verses 8 and 9, however, that their faith was proven and they're joyful about it. So, so why is he telling them to remember this hope? Don't they already know this? I mean, isn't this basic salvation? He, he does this because we get distracted. We're setting our hopes on other things. Maybe you have some of them written down. We, we set our hopes on people in the past who seem reliable, on salaries that have been keeping us fed, and on our good works. These are good things, but they're not Jesus. They're good, but none of it lasts forever. People die, they move away, and they sin. We cannot hope in them. Salaries, ours included, or ours especially, are reliant on the giving of others. And are based on our present needs, which at any moment may change. And our good works, well, well thinking of myself, I certainly shouldn't hope in myself to continue doing that without the Lord working in my life. Your good works are only possible through the Holy Spirit. We constantly need to evangelize ourselves. Not that we need to be saved again, but we constantly need reminders of what God did and that our hope is in him and in him alone. I mean, why else would Peter write all this? Why would he write the longest sentence ever written about a living hope to those who already have this living hope? People who have already been saved. We need it again. And, and don't take my word for it. Let's just go look to see what Peter says himself in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities through, though you know them and are established in truth that you, by way of reminder, I messed that up, established truth, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of your body, of my body, will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He does this so that we can recall them at any time. To constantly renew your mind and remember the gospel. Now, what are these actions that we're preparing our minds for? As it says in verse 13, prepare your minds, you're preparing your minds for action. Well, the answer is every action. And you, we can read it in verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. 
but as he who has called you to be or he who called you is holy you also be holy in all of your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy So in the middle of suffering, God is still calling these churches of Asia to be holy. We're called to do the same. With the hope and joy of our eternal reward front and center in our minds, we are being sanctified. Suffering doesn't eliminate this call to be holy. When trials come and all you want is to be comforted, don't go to sin. It'll, it'll bring you this temporary happiness, but it, it's certainly not going to give you joy inexpressible. That call is never eliminated. I mean, what is temporary happiness felt in sin in comparison to the inexpressible eternal joy set before us? What is momentary pain, injustice, and grief in comparison to the joy of our salvation? And what sting does death have when our Lord Jesus Christ conquered it and gave eternal life to us? It has none. No sting. So suffering does not eliminate our call to be holy. But it does magnify God's glory when we remain steadfast. Let's read verse 17 again. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according, according to each... Hold on. And if you call on him as father... Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile this refers to the idea of being sober-minded back in verse 13 when he says conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile he's saying live with reverence throughout your time here on earth don't waste time on things that distract you from serving the Lord. You're not to wait to serve the Lord when your financial situation is better. You're not to wait to serve the Lord when your kids are out of the house or until you're married or until whatever else we use as temporarily, temporarily stutter or delay our services to the Lord. We have a short time here as foreigners on this earth this is not something we should fear and be terrified of because we have a living hope we have an eternal reward we should seek to use this time to please the Lord now I'm not saying forget about all those things but when the Lord calls you to action you do not delay In verses 18 through 21, Peter reminds us of the weight of our time here. Remember, you were ransomed from the curse you inherited 
not with garbage like silver or gold, but through, through the torture and slaughter of the blameless Son of God. Then in verse 20 and 21, we're reminded that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was the plan since the beginning. And because of all of this, be sober-minded. Don't waste your life fooling with meaningless things like comfort, like money, and like people-pleasing. Or anything else that denies the gift you were given or the urgency at hand. You might be thinking something that I've thought from time to time. Yeah, yeah, we already know this. That's why we're headed halfway around the world, to serve the Lord. We are faithful and obeying because of our reverence here. That's true. But in the same way, Peter commended these believers in their faithfulness. And yet, he still realizes their need to be reminded. Your faithfulness and attitude during this stressful time, especially you parents, has proven your faith in Christ. It's been a blessing to watch y'all, to watch everybody here. The leadership working diligent and hard, the parents making sacrifices, and all, all of us single journeymen seeing y'all work to help everybody. It's proven our faith in Christ. But let us not be prideful to think we're better than anybody else. We need this reminder in our daily life. Keep the living hope of your salvation on the forefront of your mind so that you can bear all affliction for the glory of God and for the joy of of your salvation.